The Lord be with you. Thank you. I'm John. I know a lot of you, but not all of you. I'd love to meet you, maybe take a walk around town sometime together. So just shoot me an email, john at pillarchurch.com. I'd love to get to know you. I also have to highlight Nick and Sophie. You've got to raise your hands. These two stood right here on Friday night and were married. And then they came to church. That's just amazing to me. It was a great, great night. Uh, do you know the name Neil Plantinga? Yes. A few of you heard this name, Calvin University. Woohoo! Calvin Seminary, president, professor, theologian, brilliant. Uh, he wrote a book titled Under the Wings of God. It's, it's a little devotional. It's exceptional. I highly recommend it. The second chapter is titled God on the Loose. The chapter itself is inspiring, and the title is sort of compelling to me. So I actually, I didn't tell anybody this, but I've, I've named the collection of sermons this summer after that title. Maybe I should have mentioned that earlier. Uh, God on the loose. In the chapter, he tells a story that I think is funny, and I'm really hoping you're willing to laugh. It's about a seminary student. There was a seminary student who visited a seriously sick woman. This woman was so sick and so old, and so sick of being old and sick that she wanted to die. She wanted the Lord to take her home, so the student asked her a few questions on his visit. Do you believe in God, your Savior? Yes, she said. Do you believe that God could take you to himself and reach gently for you when he did it? Oh, yes, said the woman. I believe that. Well, said the seminarian, have you ever had people pray with you about this and go ahead and ask God to take you? No, she said, I haven't done that. Okay, said the student, would you like me to pray for you? Yes, said the woman, I'd like that a lot. So the student prayed a prayer that went something like this. Oh God, Mrs. Tiffany has suffered a long time now and she's your daughter and she believes in you. Please take her to yourself soon so that she may be at peace with Christ. The woman died on the spot. And the student was so spooked that he never mentioned his prayer to anybody for three years. He hadn't meant it to come to that. He hadn't expected God to act. It was only a prayer. I laughed when I read. I thought it was funny. Thank you for humoring me with your laughter, too. Uh, then I, I kind of started thinking about it, though. He hadn't expected God to act. It was only a prayer. I wonder if that kind of maybe sort of might not just be a little bit true of the rest of us too. I hadn't really expected God to act. Maybe, maybe life is good, you know, you're doing good, it's fine, it's, it's summer, it's great, you're loving life, you've got the job and you're kind of moving in the right direction and the kids are fine as far as everybody else knows and the marriage just seems great, you really don't, really don't need God to act. Or it's just middle of August. It's just the middle of August, you know, that you've been, the, the, the long-awaited summer now is just kind of, it's getting a little long. In the middle of August, you know, you're not really thinking much about the need for God to act. Or maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I'm just misreading the whole thing. Maybe it's not good. Maybe it's not good at all. 
Maybe the pressures are real and the pain is present. And, and if God were going to act, it would have been nice if he had acted a long time ago to keep you out of this mess because now you're up a creek without a paddle. I hadn't expected God to act. It's just a prayer. Actually, planting a story touches on a sort of a very alive reality in our cultural moment. Uh, sociologists and theologians have been agreeing now for a while. Uh, this past week we had uh, scholar Andy Root here at Pillar. We hosted a conference for pastors and Christian leaders across the country, mostly CRC. He wrote the book, uh, When the Church Stops Working. He's a Charles Taylor secular age scholar, if that means anything to you. He kind of divides secularity, if I can call it that, into four different categories. Secular zero, which is basically an enchanted world. Like, the idea that you wouldn't believe in God is, is, is implausible. Of course, God. That kind of gives way to secular one, which, where we divide public and private, so you have public facts and private values, and of course, religion is just a private value. You can believe whatever you want, just keep it to yourself, okay? That's secular one. Then secular two, it's sort of this sort of kind of pluralism. All of these different religions, they're all sort of on the same footing, and you kind of take and choose whatever you like from the little bit, and then you just kind of do you. That's secular two. And then secular three, but what he would suggest is the kind of the mindset of our current cultural moment. Any belief system at all, Orthodox Christianity or atheism, are equally untenable. To believe anything at all is implausible. Plantinga and Andy Root hold hands. Didn't really expect God to act. It was just a prayer. Glad I could be so uplifting today. Glad you came to Pillar. I have one Bible verse for you this morning from the book of Acts. I googled. There are over 31,000 verses in the Bible. <laughs> and the Spirit of God, I think, wants this one for you here now. Acts 23, verse 11. That night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Keep up your courage. For just as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also in Rome. There it is. There you have it. That's all I got. It's going to be a short sermon. Uh, that night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, keep up your courage. For just as you testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also in Rome. Apparently Luke, the author of the book of Acts, didn't get the memo about the implausibility of God. Apparently Luke didn't get the notice about God being a benign divine, incapable really of influencing and interacting with us in any, any way. Just sort of a nice coaster for your coffee table, not actually going to do anything. That night, the Lord stood near Paul, the God of the universe, who spoke the world into existence with a word that God drew near. The God who winked and the mountains started climbing and whispered and the ocean started tiding and spoke and the river started running. That God showed up to Paul that night. The Bible from its beginning is insisting over and over in this God who acts, this God who shows up, this God who does, this God who can, this God who will.
that night, the Lord stood near Paul. The word stood near, it's a epistos, I think. You can probably look it up yourself. Uh, it's, not, it's not like he just stood there sort of off in the corner watching what was happening to Paul that night or like whispering sweet things to Paul to keep him encouraged. The word carries with it this idea that, that the Lord propped him up. The Lord stood him up. The Lord kept him up that night. The Lord stood near Paul, and Paul needed it. He's arrested again. You can read Acts 23. He's arrested again. He's being tried again. He's been beaten again. They're trying to kill him again. And that night, the Lord stood near Paul. And I'm just wondering if there's anyone here who doesn't need the Lord to stand near again. Stand near now. No? Nobody? Thank you, Walter, Michael. Bitch. That's the story of the gospel. A God who stands near, a God who acts, despite whatever secular three says about you. God acts. And we live in a messed up, mixed up, crazy, wild world, don't we? Who here needs God to act? You saw the same scene I did this past week in Montgomery, Alabama where the white boaters beat the black security guard, another demonstration of racially charged violence plaguing our world. We need God to act. Or the fires that ravage Hawaii as the death toll rises and people's hearts break, we need God to act. Or the, the presidential candidate in Ecuador assassinated and COVID cases on the rise triggering all of us. We need God to act. And the, and the scriptures insist over and over, God acts. God does. God can. God will. Supremely in Jesus Christ, who left the eternal communion with Father and Spirit and entered into the creaturely realities of our lives. He took on what we are. He knows. He took on what we are so that we could become like he is. That night, the Lord stood near. And I'm just like spouting the stuff I can read on the headlines, you know? Like, and you, you can ignore it. You can ignore all of it. You can just delete the app or turn off your screen. You don't have to pay attention to any of that. That's the stuff that's out there. What about the stuff in here? I read somewhere that 61% of young adults are considered seriously lonely. Anybody in here lonely? And that, they're calling it an epidemic of loneliness in our country, holding hands with the pandemic of anxiety wreaking havoc on our teens. And marriage, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes. And the, raising kids in the smartphone age isn't all that easy either. And the job, they just keep asking for efficiency and production. The stuff in here... God acts, God can, God does, God will. That night, the Lord stood near. Uh, you know the name John Calvin? Uh, he, he makes a fairly forceful case. I mean, I was convinced. Uh, Christ took on flesh as the infant child, suffered and died on the cross, was buried, his body was buried. 
He rose up in resurrection, physical bodily resurrection, and ascended into heaven in the body, in the flesh. So like Christ is in heaven. That's what Calvin said. And somehow in the mystery and economy of God's grace, he shows up still by his spirit. That night, the Lord stood near. And you remember what he said? I've asked this two times today already in the 9 o'clock service and the 10 o'clock service at the warehouse, and nobody can remember what Christ said. You remember what he said? Keep up your courage. Keep up your courage. Courage. We could use a little courage. Paul needed courage. I mean, my word. Maybe you need a little courage. He says, keep up your courage. When the Bible invites us to keep up our courage, sometimes it comes with the promise to alleviate the pain. Like that scene in Exodus when God chooses Moses and Moses delivers his people from slavery in Egypt and they get up against the Red Sea, their backs against the proverbial wall. And what's that Bible verse? Uh, Be strong and see the deliverance the Lord will accomplish for you today. And then, of course, the Red Sea parts and the people get on to the freedom journey. Keep up your courage. Sometimes the circumstances are alleviated. Or or like when the psalmist prays, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Sometimes the circumstances change. And sometimes they don't. That night the Lord stood near Paul and said, keep up your courage. Just as you testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also in Rome. It's not going to get any better for you, Paul. It's not going to go away, Paul. Yeah, okay, you're going to get out of this little situation in Jerusalem, but then that means you're going to go before the emperor who can determine the fate of your life with a move of his thumb. What does Jesus mean, keep up your courage? Sometimes the invitation in keeping up courage is actually to move towards the pain, to move into the hurt, trusting the God who stands you up, props you up. Keep up your courage. The redemption purposes of God will unfold. Whether the circumstance you're in or not changes, redemption unfolds. Salvation is accomplished. Finally, one day, the lion and the lamb will lie down together, whether you have a good Tuesday or not. One day, swords will become plowshares and spears pruning hooks, and nation will not lift up sword against nation, nor will they learn war anymore, regardless of how Friday goes. One day, all things will be made new. Despite what you know now, keep up your courage. Are you with me? Uh, Jamie Smith wrote a really good book titled How to Inhabit Time. He's a Calvin philosopher. Uh, Redemption is not an undoing, an effacing or an erasing, but a gathering up of our histories, a taking up of what time has wrought. Like the ships of Tarshish, our habitualities and history sail into an eternal future with a God who makes all things new. And I love this line, eternity bears the marks of our now. Eternity bears the marks of our now. Keep up your courage. 
Just as you testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also in Rome. Keep up your courage, not to alleviate the circumstance, but to bear witness in it. To bear witness to Christ in it, not just speaking a nice Jesus word to any passerby, but living a Jesus life amidst the circumstances you know. When pressure mounts and pain is real and loneliness happens and anxiety overwhelms and all the stuff, psychologists have done research on us. They know how we're going to behave. Humanity across the board, we do it all the time. There's four primary responses all of us always offer. You ready? You can write them down. Fight, flight, freeze, fawn. We do it all the time. We fight. I'll just punch you in the face. I'll gossip, I'll demean you, I'll belittle you. We, we flight, we run away, I gotta get out of here. We ignore, we hide. We freeze, we don't know what to do. Just make it go away. Or we fawn, we actually sort of like try to appease the one who's hurting us. Psychologists have done it, this is what we do all the time. What if there was a small group of people, maybe on the corner of Ninth and College, who just went a different way? Who pray, who loved our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Bear witness. Who went the way of Jesus, who emptied himself. Went the way of humility. Bear witness. Who picked up what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he said the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Bear witness. Are you, are you hanging with me? We live in a crazy world. And it's, it's, so, it's so boringly predictable in the way we comport ourselves. What if we shocked the world with grace and mercy and kindness and generosity? Write a whole new script. We, we can. The Lord stands near. Keep up your courage. So this week I've been thinking about Polycarp. Anybody know Polycarp? Uh, second century bishop of Smyrna. He was martyred at 86 years old. Uh, he was said to have been the last living person to know one of the apostles, which I think is kind of interesting. He was a student of St. John, so like a spiritual genealogy sort of thing, it'd be like a grandson to Jesus, which I just think is awesome. Uh, you know, he refused to renounce his faith, and the, the announcement of the gospel of Christ sort of confronts religious authority, and at the same time confronts political power, so Rome was after him. Uh, they, they got him, they put him on a donkey, they rode him into town. It, it said that he heard a voice as he was riding into town, uh, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Other people heard the voice too, it sounds like, but couldn't tell where it came from. Yeah. He, he was burned at the stake. Uh, Hagiographa tells us that actually the flames, they, they sort of like formed a cocoon around him rather than actually burning him. I don't know about that. Uh, so what they did was they ran a spear through him, and there was so much blood that came out, it extinguished the flames. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a little less interested in the way of his dying and quite a bit more interested in the way of his living. So he was, he was one of the 
the last living people who knew the apostles, so his friends wanted to preserve his life. They, they knew Rome was after him, so they took him to a secluded village to hide, and Rome couldn't find him, and Rome was getting frustrated, so Rome went and to his family, and they took his kids, and they beat them, and they tortured them until finally one of them confessed his location, so they got him, and they found him, and I'll just read for you from Polycarp's martyrdom. When Polycarp heard that the police had come, he went down and spoke with them. They were amazed at his age and steadfastness, and some of them said, why did we go to so much trouble to capture a man like this? Immediately, he called for food and drink for them and asked for an hour to pray uninterrupted. What would you do? Immediately, he called for food and drink for them. What would you do? They just beat your kids. They're here to arrest you, to take you to your own death. He immediately, he called for food and drink for them a much different way. Keep up your courage. Bear witness. And we talk about Polycarp still. Amen? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.